Attention all personnel. Incoming podcast. This is MASH Matters. Hello, this is MASH Matters, the podcast celebrating the greatest television show of all time, hosted by two guys who love the show, but for completely different reasons. I love it because it's my favorite show of all time, and this guy loves it because it was a paycheck. Jeff Maxwell, who played Private Igor on MASH. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Ryan Patrick. Yes, it was a paycheck, and I really did enjoy that paycheck every time I got it. I still (laughs) enjoy that paycheck because... You know, all us actor types, we do get residuals. So yes, we're, yeah. we're very happy when that happens. Yeah, it was good. And it was a good show. And, you know, and it was a good show, not just because of the stellar acting, but also because of the writing. Mm. These episodes don't just write themselves. These actors don't just come up with these witty, funny lines all by their lonesome. They have to have quality writers in their corner, cranking out fantastic scripts day in and day out. And today we are proud to welcome not one, but two writers here to mash matters just to be clear i wrote everything i said so (laughs) let those other guys go ahead here we go this is a great talk i think you're really going to enjoy it Mm -hmm. please welcome to the podcast the emmy award-winning team of david pollock and elias davis welcome to mash matters gentlemen david pollock and elias davis you know, we want everybody to know that uh, all the actors on MASH did not make up their own words. We had really uh, smart guys and girls helping to make all of us sound funny and smart and charming. And uh, those wonderful writers like the two of you did that. So thank you for writing all those words that I was able to say. And thank you for being here. So welcome to MASH Matters, guys. Thank you. Thank you. So first of all, every, I mean, I grew up being, becoming interested in being funny. I was attracted to humor and funniness. How did you guys, were you young kids and say, oh, gee, I'm going to be a wacky guy and I want to make people laugh? What happened with that? Well, uh, I I may have done some of that. um, But uh, to my memory, I think I became interested in comedy. And this is a story Elias has heard uh, so many times. So I'll I'll keep it tight. But jump in, Elias, if I leave anything out. (laughs) Is driving around in the back seat uh, I wasn't driving in the backseat, but I was a passenger in the backseat of my parents' car, uh, often on Sundays driving around the back roads of, of uh, Orange County, ultimately, and before that here in L.A. And my father always had Jack Benny on at 4 o'clock, Amos and Andy at 4.30, and Bergen and McCarthy, you know, at 5 o'clock. And uh, over time, you know, it just became... Uh, you know, I, I was laughing with those shows. And I guess his, and to a maybe lesser extent, my mom's involvement in that and appreciation of those shows, it took on an importance that uh, maybe it wouldn't have if my parents had been listening to something else. So um, I think that's, that's how it started. And then TV followed soon after that. I'm talking about the late 40s, actually. And then by 1950, TV was on and and the same people. You know, Jack Benny started in the early 50s. Burns and Allen were another one. I know Elias told me he... uh, I'll speak for him for all of this. Yes, thank you, Dave. Thank you. He, he, I remember us talking several times about having listening to uh, The Great Gildersleeve, which was a popular radio show. But uh, I think that's where it started, for me anyway. And so being, being with your parents and having that, probably sharing that and laughing, 
it was probably an important, you know, something that kind of embedded itself in your head, I would assume, if I'm playing, you know, Dr. Phil for a minute. Well, it seemed important. I mean, uh, I mean, there, a lot of things seemed important, but this is something that I guess took on more of a, and, and my father was a writer also. Oh, okay. uh, So, you know, the, that also, I'm sure, factored into it over a lot of years, you know. And of course, this wasn't anything I was measuring or calibrating at the time. It was just a part of my life. So, Elias, what uh, were you in the car with him? And <laughs> but I was in the car with Dave. I looked for him, but uh, he wasn't there. <laughs> in later years, and uh, his interest in comedy did uh, infect me. So I became more than just the typist of our team. I started to actually contribute humor to it. But I. Like Dave, I do remember listening to a lot of those shows, and they were popular shows in my family also, radio shows, and then uh, to a lesser extent, television. The thing that really sticks with me is that feeling of just being uh, not even in the car, just listen, sitting in the living room listening to these shows, just like we would later watch them on television. Mm -hmm. But um, I guess I've often thought about this, my family... Somehow my mother took humor as an important part of our conversation. So sitting at the kitchen table, which is where we had dinner and breakfast, if we ever had that together, it was there was a high premium put on saying something funny, wow. something clever, okay. so that the other people around the table would laugh at it. Hmm. And I just as a side note, my um, one of my sisters became a, a very successful uh, television situation comedy writer. So there must have been something infectious about that. And the other thing I remember that I remember comedy being important to me because I remember writing term papers and and uh, and you know just papers that were required in high school and later in college. And if these were serious papers, but if there was ever an opportunity to put something that I thought was clever and would make somebody laugh into these serious papers, I would write it in. And I always <laughs> and remember having the thought, well, you know, Miss So-and-so or Professor So-and-so is really going to really love this. And they never, of course, commented about them at all. No one ever said a word. <laughs> I can identify uh, with that, too, as far as term papers. Because I remember writing a term paper uh, on Robert Benchley and the humorist. And uh, I think then I relied on Benchley for the humor rather than, <laughs> yeah. rather than my own. Yeah. You just kind of rode along. He carried yeah. me through that paper. So how did you two find each other? I, um, I, I wanted to go to law school when I was in college. And then I decided after uh, three and a half years of college, or about three and a quarter years of college, that wasn't for me for various reasons I won't bore you with. And I was talking, there was a guy named Shelley Keller, who was a friend of the family. He, he was a very well-known comedy writer. And I was uh, with him one day and I said, uh, Shelley, I don't, I don't think I want to go to law school. He said, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he said, uh, these, these were pretty close to his exact words. Why don't you go into show business? It's a lot of fun and I'll help you get a job. And I said, okay. <laughs> so that was the end of that. <laughs> I, uh, I was engaged at the time. I called my future wife, told her that I wasn't going to go to law school. I was going to go into show business. And she said, okay. And by the way, that was just it. By the way, it was show business. That was the extent of what I decided I wanted to do. But then wow. uh, he did help me get a job as an usher at CBS. And Dave Pollack was there. And he was a 
really funny guy. I mean, as an usher, he was amazing. I think some of that, you know, drifted away over time, but as an usher, he was hysterical. And um, I actually did have the thought, which I've probably told Dave and other people a million times, if I can just figure out a way to hang out with this guy, I'm going to, you know, because he's obviously going to be a real success, then I'll uh, be able to share in that. And we started to, to do stuff together. Hmm. Even as ushers, we were, you know, writing things that we were. We, we even uh, worked things uh, into our tours. We had to conduct. Oh, Dave did. We had to conduct tours through uh, Television City. Oh, 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 I see. This is yeah. Television City. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. 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 That had been up and running since the early years before we got there. Uh, and uh we would have to give tours every, you know, from one o'clock or noon, or maybe even earlier in the day. I don't, every hour on the hour, there were tours. There were dozens of ushers, so we didn't have to do 12 tours a day, but uh, we had to fill a half hour. And we worked, uh, I remember working jokes into the tour. For example, I would point out the room where they make the commercials louder. <laughs> and we had other stops along the way. Where we well, that's true, isn't it? That's an actual. That's isn't that true, a, but there isn't a room. <laughs> oh, my my tours bought it. <laughs> so you were even filling thirty minutes back then. That's right. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. So how did you go from being ushers at Television City to writing for television? Yeah, well, that's the big question. Yeah. Well, first we had to decide that that's what we wanted to do. I I think that came you know, months and months after we were together working there. I was an usher there for about a year, over a year and a half, I think. I think less so for Elias. I think a big factor was we were assigned to a lot of comedy shows. In addition to TV City, the ushers, not just Elias and I, but all of us, we in the evenings, we'd be driving all over the city to, to Universal to do... Uh, Jack Benny's film shows, Leslie Lou doing Lucy, uh, you know, I Love Lucy, uh, the, the Dick Van Dyke show, Danny Thomas show. Mm. So we were always around around those shows. I have to tell a quick story about being an usher at CBS. I wasn't an usher for, at CBS for very long. I soon rose to the rank of assistant usher supervisor. And one of my jobs, yeah, well, I had it in me. And one of my jobs was to um, type up usher's schedules and i did that at a typewriter in a little room i shared with the phone guy and one of the ushers on, on the staff was a guy named david geffen and david geffen was, was was in my office one day this just i'm just showing you what i know about show yeah. business and he was sitting in my office one day and we were talking i was typing my my my, my schedules and, and should have you should have teamed up with geffen that's <laughs> well, You'd have been retired years ago. But I'll tell you why I didn't. This is the problem. So he had gotten the job partly because his brother was a well-known attorney in show business named Mitch Geffen. And uh, he said to me uh, when he was sitting there, he said, you know what I'm doing? My brother's giving me a lot of books that I are in galleys. And I'm trying to find one that I really like to make into a movie. And I said, what do you mean make into a movie? You're a f***ing usher. My knowledge <laughs> how to get ahead in show business. Oh gosh. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, we can't call them all correctly. You know? <laughs> yeah. Gee whiz. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. Whatever happened to him, I wonder. Yeah. Whatever happened to him. <laughs> but Dave and I did start. I mean, we. I took a class in comedy writing at, uh, at UCLA Extension. 
Ron Carver, I think was a guy's name. And it was, it was just a, basically if you could write jokes and I enjoyed it and Dave showed the stuff to Dave who kind of thought it was pretty good. And we just started to think about and, you know, and, and figure out how we might be able to do something. And, and I, I remember writing a sketch. I think Dave, maybe it was for the Danny Kay show that we gave to Sheldon Keller thinking we'd really impress him. Yeah. It was about the uh, refreshment section of a movie theater, you know, where you get your your uh, soft drinks and all that. But we were doing it even then. You know, we were trying to do stuff. And as far as how we, the you know, the first breaks and all that, I'll leave that to Dave. He probably can do it more efficiently than I can tell all the stories. Well, the first break. Well, well, I had, in college, I had, I had written for a comedy team that was on, uh, were you, were you guys raised in LA? I was, yes. Yeah. You remember there was a team, uh, a two-man team on KNX in the, in the very late 50s and early 60s called Condillis and Grant, Paul Condillis and Bob Grant. You remember them? I certainly me- I remember Bob Grant. I didn't know that he was, is that the same Bob Grant? He was a- Yeah, years later he became a- He just became a, Bob Grant, yeah. He okay. became Bob Grant, a right wing. Uh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, beyond right. <laughs> Any, but in, in those days, uh, I never heard of political word out of the guy but they did a uh, a two-man you know two wacky guys in the afternoon on knx and i just submitted material to them ultimately they they liked some things and started using it and that sort of gave me a confidence you know that uh, gee i could i could make money doing this and uh, as far as a first break uh oh well well we got a job because i had worked at knx well, I, I, I'm sort of collapsing the, the time frame just to speed it along. But Moving forward, yeah. <laughs> Elias went to another job at the KNXT, which was the you know the CBS affiliate here, and I went to the newsroom at KNX. I actually went to KHJ, but it was it was like being at KNXT. It was a local station. And and uh, and I was at KNX, and they and by that time Pat Buttram was doing the afternoons, and I would slip jokes to him sometimes <laughs> and bob crane was on in the mornings in mm. around 1965 bob crane left knx to do hogan's heroes he was going to try to keep doing both but uh, and and did for like the first few weeks and he would come in at like three o'clock in the morning to tape you know two hours of his radio show for you know wow. and then, then go over to uh, paramount and start doing hogan's heroes <laughs> You know, that became impossible. So they teamed up two guys, two really just staff announcers at uh, CBS, guys named Mel Baldwin and George Walsh. And because I had been working there, I guess over time, they, they the station saw that they could use some writing help. So they came to me and I brought in Elias and they started paying us. And that was really our first job where every day we had to have some material ready for those guys when they came in the next morning. Also, I, if I remember... Remember, Dave, that was our first uh, guild job, wasn't it? Yes, because they were a CBS station. Uh, KNX was in the guild, so we had to uh, join the Writers Guild. I mean, we quit the other jobs and we would get together every day and, and write. I mean, it, you know, it wasn't like a, an amazing thing, but we were getting paid. The stuff we were doing was getting performed and it was a job. I mean, so we sort of started to move forward at that, that time. We could, we, we could see that we could turn it out day after day. Some days better than others, but uh, at least there was always something there we could turn in. How did you start the process? Was one of you writing and the other one talking, or did you both, you know, throw out jokes or concepts, or how did that work? 
Well, sort of all of that. Elias uh, was a, a faster typer than I was, so he would be typing. And, you know, there on a radio show, it was just little quick throwaway lines. Some bits were longer. We couldn't do big elaborate production things because uh, they had limited sound effects. <laughs> but, uh, you know, w- we never planned out a system. It just sort of materialized as we did it. For our whole career together, and, and it's, it's not always this way with all writers, we worked head to head. We were, even if it was head-to-head being on the phone talking about, you know, writing a script, a lot of writers write, um, you take scene one, I'll take scene two, they do it that way, and then they swap them, and they rewrite each other's stuff. I'm not saying that never happened. It probably happened at some point for us. Maybe we did that on a rewrite or something. But basically, when we finally got going, we had two desks in an office and sat across from each other. It's really annoying to sit there every day. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, just like we're doing here, sitting here looking yeah, at each other. That's it. I'm a little annoyed uh, now, but I yeah, don't yeah. know that that's meaningful. I think, mo- I think most writers do uh, work that way, sort of head to head. You know, n- not dramatic writers so much. There aren't as many two-person teams in the dramatic writing. And, you know, there were some big ones. But uh, for the most part, uh, I think dramatic shows are... Uh, one person's concept. And uh, in comedy, you know, you you spark off of each other. So it sort of lends itself to uh, comedy. Well, it's, it's interesting. I mean, teams, uh, and I've known some writing teams, uh, and the fact is, it's, it's kind of like a marriage. I mean, you have to have a relationship and it has to work and you have to be respectful of each other's ability and you have to be sort of forceful about <laughs> what your ability is as well and sort of blend it all and make all that work. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. And at the same time, gee, just be funny. <laughs> Golly, yeah. You got to do that too. Yeah. So let me get this out of the way and then we can just jump into MASH because maybe some of our MASH listeners don't care about this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Oh, we have listeners here? <laughs> it's not just the four of us? <laughs> dozens and dozens oh of God. listeners. <laughs> yeah. Oh, if they're still with us at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so a million years ago, maybe I'll, I'll cut to the chase. I know you guys went on and you became uh, uh, producers of the Steve Allen show. Certainly a favorite guy of mine growing up. I thought he was the funniest guy in the world and he was wonderful. As I grew up, uh, I started my showbiz performing career as a comedy team. And my buddy in high school and I got together and we had a good time and we started performing at parties and high school events and all that kind of stuff. And we began to develop little personalities and little concepts about how to be funny and various themes and stuff. So we did it and did it and did it. And we got better and better and better at it. Pretty soon we found ourselves actually making money like you guys. We were hired by various people and clubs, local clubs, and we do two weeks here and two weeks there. And we were having a great time. This was like, we were, this is big time. You know, we were having fun, meeting a lot of chicks too, which was good. (laughs) Uh, So at some point, and I don't remember, I think it was an agent called us and said, hey, guys, we got you a a really cool thing here. Uh, You get to audition for the Steve Allen show. Wow. Now, both of us were out of our minds because we loved Steve Allen, thought he was a genius. And we went, oh, my God, the Steve Allen show. This is big. So we showed up at wherever it was, somewhere in Los Angeles, to audition for the Steve Allen show. Elias, Elias, are these the two guys we turned yeah, out? These are the guys you said <laughs> cut it. That's, this is, these are the ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we auditioned. 
were two guys named Pollock and Davis. <laughs> and uh, we were certainly, we were nervous. This was a pretty cool thing to audition for a TV show. Uh, and we walked in and we did our first bit and you laughed and you said, well, can you do another one? So we did another one and we said, well, can you do another one? Yeah, sure. And so we did virtually every piece of material we had. We, <laughs> we were exhausted. I think it was like 25 minutes later, or half an hour, hour later, whatever it was, we were pooped. And you guys said, hey, well, you're, you're pretty funny. Yeah, that's really great. Well, thank you very much for coming in or something like that. And we left and thought, well, that went pretty well. They, they liked us. They laughed. And uh, gee, this is great. So we went on our way, you know, waiting to be called to get on the Steve Allen show. But we never got the call. <laughs> <laughs> and, all, and all the time, we've, all, the, all the years we were on MASH. You never came up to it. You, you had us right there. Yeah, I tried to convince Dave that we should uh, bring you back. <laughs> you know what? Uh, you know, we didn't get the job, but the journey was wonderful anyway. And the audition was really, you know, special to well, us. We want to apologize. <laughs> but you. I will say, and I'm not going to name names, but, and this is not a joke. This is really true. There were people that we didn't hire who became huge stars big comedy stars that we thought, nah, I don't think so. So um, we just weren't that good at that part. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had a bit, our big bit was the uh, an interview with the world's first pregnant man. So maybe that was just a little bit too dicey for, <laughs> I don't oh, know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pregnant man. Uh, These were the guys. Uh, uh, well, 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 there were, but, you know, just to defend ourselves, uh, we did hire Robert Klein, came in and, and uh, did a monologue for us. And um, I'm trying to think of somebody else. Who was the guy we were just talking about who did the dog routine? Oh, oh yeah. Steve Martin. Steve Martin. Oh, that guy. Yeah. He said, yeah. In fact, in his uh, autobiography, he, he mentioned his first time on TV, which we, I don't know if we had any idea about that, but he came in and, and, and pitched an idea he wanted to do. Somebody obviously recommended him and sent him to us. I, I can't remember how it came about, but suddenly we're in a room with it. And he said that the bit I want to do is uh, just come out to a stand mic, a stand up mic and um, do a monologue to dogs. And uh, he wanted about a half a dozen dogs placed in a semicircle facing him, their backs to the audience. And he, would, and he just did a series of just dumb jokes, you know, fire hydrant jokes and obvious jokes that, that uh, supposedly a dog would like. And he did this, the dogs of course, just sat there and looked at him. And, 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 it, and it became, it was really funny. And it ended with the dogs left except for one, which walked up to him and lifted his leg and peed on his leg. It worked perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, I would like to just ask, just as a favor, that when the uh, when you do write the autobiography, that you do leave that out. I was going to open with that, actually, because I thought... <laughs> <laughs> It creates sympathy. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. In fact, the title of the autobiography is Pollock and Davis Turn Me Down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Turn Me Down yeah. for, for a dog act. I don't know. <laughs> they could have had a pregnant man, but no, they wanted a dog. <laughs> who, who was the ventriloquist with Jerry Mahoney? Uh, Paul Winchell. 
Yeah. Paul Winchell. Remember, he came in, Elias. And and we we knew he was a big star. I used to watch him when I was a kid. Uh, he, he had, this was in later years, he, he had perfected new routines with different dummy. I can't remember what, all he pitched, but he did different voices and stuff. But it just didn't seem, you know, Steve Allen is sure. I, I don't know. I don't know why. But yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm sure we made a lot of mistakes. We made a lot of mistakes, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks anyway. Thank you, anyway, for the, for the <laughs> oh, audition. Funny story about the whole MASH thing, because I know you want us to talk about MASH, and this is a good one. Yes. Yeah, MASH. We, got, we were working writers, and we got hired somehow through our agents or whatever to uh, write a MASH, and we came in and we met with Larry Gelbart, and we wrote an episode called The Tub, and we got paid for it because we, you know, that's what we did, and we got paid, and it never was aired. I mean, we, ne- we never got shot and we never heard from Larry that, you know, why, obviously the reason was it wasn't good enough. And, um, and then years later, and, and we felt worse yeah. about that than I'm sure you guys did. Well, I hope so. I hope so. That we could even continue our careers yeah. after being shot down by Larry Gelman. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's serious. So, Later, we did get hired. Uh, we knew Thad Mumford, and we did get hired to write an episode, and that started us going. And you're, and then I, we mentioned to uh, Bert, how does this happen that two guys who wrote a script? Oh, because oh, by the way, they gave us the the tub, and they said, "Can you make this work? Because if you can, it's good for us. It's good for you." And we said, "No, there's no way we can make this work." But, <laughs> but um, he said, and and this is a serious note. It makes us feel good. He said that, uh, you know, guys, I hired you. One reason I hired you is because Larry liked you enough to have you in to talk to you about writing a script. That was a real, you know, that was really important. And Mm -hmm. and it sort of says something, the history of MASH before us. It says something about uh, Mm -hmm. why it was the show it was. Yeah. Larry Gelbart brilliant guy yeah he, he sure was i mean he he set the tone for for everything you know from the from the time it started he really did yeah and the quality he set the bar real high no kidding i mean absolutely. real high absolutely so now you've written the script and so now how do you become part of it is it you know you eventually make a deal and say hey we're going to do you know 23 episodes or? no that, well, well that the, the the tub was years before it was several years we had done we had gone on right to other shows you know mary tyler moore and uh you know, other sitcoms and variety shows. But Thad asked us, we knew Thad, and he asked us if we wanted to. Yeah, we worked with Thad Mumford on That's My Mom. Yep. And he had preceded us onto the staff of MASH uh, some years later, around 1980, I think it was, 79 or 80. Yeah, because you were on season 9, 10, and 11, right? That sounds right, yeah. We were only on staff for one of those years. Okay. Which was 10, is that right, Dave? Yeah, I think 10. We were freelancing during season nine, and though we wrote a lot of scripts, and we were on staff for season 10, and then we were at uh, Warner Brothers, but we were getting MASH episodes in season 11. Gotcha. Yeah. I think that if you count the final MASH movie, we wrote 19 episodes. So was it a was it a real thrill at that point to suddenly become part of, yeah. part of MASH and the MASH family? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you always knew it would turn out well. Yeah. Were you fans of the show going into MASH? Uh, I can remember watching it, yeah. I love Larry's jokes, I get, you know. I mean, the best jokes ever. 
I don't know that I watched every single episode. What was different about writing for MASH than it was to write for Mary Tyler Moore and All in the Family and these, these other shows that you were a part of? Well, when you got right down to the mechanics of it, there was nothing that much different. I mean, Mary Tyler Moore was a top show and we loved writing for those characters. We thought we knew them and we, you know, we liked writing for uh, Jim Brooks and Alan Burns. If it's a, if it's a good show, successful show it's usually always fun because you know the the characters are good and, and you understand them and uh, when they're well defined it just makes it easy i always felt bad that we never we, we weren't around mash at the time to be able to write for frank burns because that was such a he was such a great character there was a there was a real sense of i don't want to overstate this but there was a sort of a family feel about the the whole operation that you don't often get on shows. You get there are people who get along and there are people who are, are friends. I think on Mash the cast was always res, you know respectful towards the writers. It was you know they weren't throwing around and saying you know what is this. If, even if they didn't like it, they didn't you know just basically made a statement that I think this could be better or we could fix this. And the staff, the writing staff was terrific. Bert was an amazing guy. We never disliked the job. We never disliked anybody in involved with the show. And that was that did make it special. And it was just huge. I mean, you probably have heard this story from a lot of people you talked to. When when the final mash aired and we all went to an early screening, you know, that that day, that night, but before it actually, we got to see it in a screening area, a screening room. And, um, but the streets were empty is my point when we were driving there. Yeah. And the other thing that made it special was that it really raised our, what would you say, Dave, sort of like our stature and not ours, just, you know, everybody who worked on it. It was a big deal. Warner Brothers, it, I don't know if your audience is interested in this kind of thing, but, you know, Warner Brothers hired us to work on a development deal during the last season of MASH, we were a lot of MASH, and they were happy to do that. They were happy to do that because they could say to prospective producers and people for networks, we got guys here who are working on MASH. Oh, yeah. You, you, talk about, you talk about these characters and how they're already, you know, fully formed. What is the pressure coming into a show where these characters are fully formed and now you have to be the ones putting the words into these established beloved characters mouths that's the uh that's the uh, job of a, a writer in television when dave and i would uh, be getting it would get a job writing a show we would make sure we watched them i mean we may never have watched the show before but we would sit down and start watching them and reading them because our job was to echo the way voices and so we had to make those voices part of us and a lot of people don't do that they think i'm going to write this funnier yeah, you know, because I'm a funny person, I'm going to write this funnier than it's been written before. That's not the job. Suddenly, you realize that you hear the voice in your ear. It just you don't know when that moment comes, but but in, initially, you have to sort of feel your way and try to uh, pick up the the voice, hear it clearly. Were there characters on Mash that were easier to write for, or there, were there characters that were more challenging for you to write for? Private Igor Straminsky was that really a tough, <laughs> really tough? I can see you guys. What am I about him? These guys did some breather. They're they're ready for it. Uh, 
that Steve Allen story and everything. Yeah, I've been ready for that for 32 years. Come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You've got it. Yeah, you had it down to a nice like 45 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <Thank you>. <laughs> I, I guess, I, I guess, you know, just speaking for me and, and maybe Elias, uh, the character of BJ was hard what well, i think was the hardest hmm. because um in a way he was sort of a a a, a lower volume hawkeye and, and in other ways he, he wasn't but i i guess i saw him as the maybe the least uh, defined of the uh, characters i i would imagine that would have been very difficult for him as an actor to come in there and say you know try and figure out how am i going to find this guy yeah, you know absolutely. he's replacing you know wade rogers and trying to figure out what right. to do and yeah boy that was uh that was a tough one for him yeah but he succeeded he did find ways you know you all did yeah. yeah yeah you know that's a great question i don't ever remember dave and i you know where there was any sense that we were stuck you know or another thing i don't remember and it made that doesn't mean it didn't happen but i don't remember turning a script in and having Bert or anybody else say, well, you guys, geez, you, you know, what do you think you're doing here with this, you know, with one of the, one of our characters that it, that it doesn't work. The hard parts when you write a, and the, and the fun part actually is when you're writing a script and you get to bring new characters in because, you know, all, a lot of show, a lot of the shows have characters who only are just one time, you know, characters on the show. And then you get to sort of have fun to try to figure out how to, you know, what to do with that character and how to make that character interesting and maybe funny. So that was, uh, you know, that was something that could slow you down because you're trying to find that voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's also a challenging and kind of good thing to do. Did you ever have an episode that you did that you'd like back? You mean, you mean, because we screwed it up so badly? <laughs> well, I, I didn't say, I just said, would you like that. back? I mean, <laughs> Just take yeah, another take crack that. at it. <laughs> you know, we all have our favorite episodes, you know? Yeah. Well, that's the second part of that question. And let's start there. Do you have a favorite episode, the two of you? I think a few. Okay. But usually, I tell me, Dave, I don't know if Dave agrees with this. You do remember some jokes. There's no question about that because that's what one of the things you're doing. Yeah. But here's the thing. I'm, I'll, I wonder if you've heard this from a lot of the writers on MASH. What really counts when you're writing situation comedy and the thing that gets every writer's brain going and working hard are the stories. The stories are the toughest. That's where you spend a lot of your time. I don't think there's a writer who doesn't say, wow, this is a great story. I wonder how we're going to write it. You can say the story. I'm not quite sure how this story goes and therefore, you know, or what it's about or what's underneath. So I think Dave and I probably remember or I shouldn't speak for Dave. Dave will. Dave has a much better memory than I do. But I, I sort of feel like what I remember mostly are stories. Stories are the hardest because uh, there, there's always traps in them. You know, we, we worked with Carl Reiter on a series, and, and uh, sometimes we'd start at nine o'clock in the morning and have a great idea, and we'd be going at ten o'clock, eleven o'clock, and then uh, suddenly uh, at three fifteen in the afternoon. <laughs> He would say this story goes off in a scroll in a scrawl. You know, uh, there's a trap in it. You know, it, it doesn't work. We can't do that because of X, Y, and Z in the first act. It's hard to see initially. It's hard to see uh, where the holes are going to be of the story sometimes until you uh, get into it. I I always quote to to people who are interested in writing. I always tell them about uh, one that Dave and I did called 
of blood brothers. And the reason is because, and it's not funny, but you know, that was a serious story, but it to us was just kind of a, to use ironic, not meaning funny, but you know, where there's a hidden kind of strange connection. And I don't know if you guys know the blood brothers story, but uh, um, if I remember correctly, a- uh, Let's hope Jeff does, he was in it. Were you in it, Jeff? I hope so. <laughs> I don't know. I'll ask Ryan. Was I in it? I don't remember. Well, well I don't know that as a fact. I assume I assume you were in all of them because every show was in the best half. Yeah, uh, right. uh, well, it, at I, some yes. point. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, but, but 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 maybe but maybe you were. You know, or or you might not have been in the scenes. The story simply was about a, a soldier comes in wounded, and he comes in with his buddy. And uh, they, he goes into the OR, the, the wounded soldier, and, um, and the doctors come out and tell his buddy that he's going to have to have you know, transfusion because he's losing a lot of blood. And the buddy says, um, well, if he's going to have a transfusion, uh, I'd like to be the, you know, I'd like you to use, you know, he's, we're really close and I'd feel, feel really good if it could help him if I could, you know, if I could donate the blood and they say, sure, we'll test your blood. And uh, they do test his blood and he has leukemia which is what they discover when they test his blood. And so the other guy is fine. He, he goes, you know, they use some other blood and he's fine and they save his life. But his buddy realizes that uh, he doesn't have long to live. And that just seemed like, a, in terms of what a story is, that that was pretty good kind of uh, twist in the story. And I think we got some. And, and certainly one for big laughs down the road, too. No, not big laughs. <laughs> but we wrote another part in there, though, that had some. Oh, good. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't stop us yeah, from a yeah. whole other story that yeah. I don't have to do. My, You know, uh, I, I know that uh, there was so much research done by Gene Reynolds and Larry Gelbart initially. Uh, so many doctors and interviews that they interviewed doctors in Korea and back when they were back here, too. Yeah, we would read those things. Yeah, would you? Was that information yeah. helpful and very yeah. important yeah. to you? Yeah. Great, yeah. Particularly if we were assigned uh, an episode that came off of that, we would work out the story, then they'd hand us the uh, the whole packet, you know. Sometimes they'd go on 9, 10, 11 pages. Yeah. One of our guests here on the podcast several episodes back was Marina Bryant, the real-life USO performer who shared her story with Burt Metcalf that was then turned into that showbiz, the episode that, that you wrote, that showbiz about the USO. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Part one and two. She tells a story of coming out and sitting in the writing room and, and talking about her stories and, and sharing these, you know, her experiences and, and how you were able to take those real life stories and craft them into what was, you know, eventually a two-parter. And I have to think that that's, that has to be a rare occurrence when you're actually sitting and talking with somebody as opposed to just pouring through pages of research, right? Yeah. Who was the who was the woman whose story it was? Her name is Marina Bryant. Uh, and in, in the script, she's Marina Ryan. Oh, oh. And that was the Gwen Verdon role, I assume. No, because Gwen Verdon's role was actually Gypsy Rose Lee. Uh, Marina was the uh, young lady who had the appendicitis and then had the uh, romantic involvement with Hawkeye, which Marina, when we talked to her, she wanted everybody to know that she didn't actually fall in love with her doctor. <laughs> you know, that was one, of, I mentioned this earlier, I think that, I don't know if other people have talked about this. It, it, one of the things that made MASH better than a lot of shows for us 
and um, and I wonder if other writers have said this, was the very thing we just talked about earlier. There were the two stories. Mm-hmm. There was a serious story and a comedy story. And you don't get to do that very often. That's not something that's common in, um, in writing, or wasn't then, that's for sure, in writing television. And that gave us all, I think, a feeling of the importance, I don't want to overstate it, but that the show had a certain kind of importance because there were these, in addition to just making people laugh, we were trying to say something about war and we were yeah, trying to say something yeah, about, yeah, you know, friendship yeah. and-, and, and, and uh, One of my personal favorite moments in any of the episodes that you were a part of is a serious moment. And it's, it's in Sons and Bowlers. Mm-hmm. That moment with Charles and Hawkeye, as Hawkeye is waiting to talk to his dad to find out if his dad is, is okay. Yeah. My father's a good man. He always wanted the best for me. But where I have a father, you have a dad. Charles, you never told me anything like this before. Actually, okay, I've never told you anything before. The thing I liked about that episode was uh, getting to work with High Averbank because uh, as a kid of the backseat of that car, I would hear Hi Everback on the Bob Hope show every week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was great, wasn't he? He was a terrific guy. Loved Such a nice guy. Yeah. Is, when you left MASH, and you certainly went on, you wrote a lot of other things after MASH, Frasier and all these great shows. Was it tough to switch gears and kind of go into that head, the heads of those kinds of characters? Or was it just sort of what you had to do, your job? Yeah, it's just a different... Uh, well, every, every wherever you go next, it's new characters. So, mm-hmm. so you're always shifting mm-hmm. gears. I, I never saw it in uh, automotive terms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, when you think back, you know, to uh, the days the long ago, way before our time, Dave knows more about this than I do because of his family history, but m- most shows were, uh, or, or maybe all shows that weren't like variety shows and stuff like that were written by freelancers. So the whole writing community, especially in situation comedy, was made up of people who would go from show, you know, they might they'd write a couple of this one, then they'd write a couple of that one. There were people who wrote a lot of individual shows, but there were people who moved around. And it's kind of, I think, what you have to learn in order to be a writer in television is that very thing. You have to learn, you can go from thinking only in terms of these characters to now forgetting about them. Because you don't want to say, oh, well, this is a little bit like that character from MASH. Maybe we can put that into this character's mouth. That's not a good idea. Yeah. Gosh, was there, MASH was such a, you know, became such a big deal. I mean, it became this iconic uh, television show, much like Lucy and all those kinds of shows. Is that meaningful to you guys? I mean, is that, do you walk away going, wow, I, I was part of that? Yeah, it's great to have been able to be part of it. I was, on a, I, I was in, a, in a conversation where I threw in a Zoom thing because I turned 80 a few days ago and I threw in- Happy the, birthday. Uh, 80, wow, wow. Amazing. I did not know I, that. <laughs> I threw in this thing about, uh, I threw in this thing about some of the things that I, Dave and I had worked on and, and as you mentioned, there were some important ones in there, you know. And um, when I had finished, somebody said, uh, as we were all saying goodbye, they said to me, you know, and Elias, thank you so much for writing for MASH. That's a 
show that made a real difference in my life. You don't hear that. And, and you know, people mean it. Yes. Yes, you know? they do. Yeah. It's do. pretty special. It is. It's something I've learned doing this. Uh, uh, you know, I'll say this again ad nauseum. I've said it, but Ryan is a big fan of MASH, has been for a long time. I used to work there. He loves the show for his reasons. I love the show for my reasons. Right. For me, when we do this podcast and we started it and I started to hear the, the genuineness of all of the people's uh, uh, feelings about MASH and what it meant to them growing up and what it did with their families and it created careers. Women became nurses, men became doctors, guys became food servers. You know, it was across the board. <laughs> But it, but it's it, it's it's important to them, really important. Yeah, and I, yeah. I and I'm I, you know I'm blown away by it. And they say things to me about you know various things that I've done on the show, and it, it's really an emotional thing to hear uh, the the great response and the great emotional impact Mash had on everybody. So sure. yeah, I mean, you guys did you guys did good. No, I, I agree, <laughs> and I, I I totally agree. And and I will say. Because this is something we didn't talk about, but I guess I just alluded to it when I talked about what that woman said. Of all the shows we've written and we've, you know, we've won, uh, we've gotten some nominations and things like that. I won't get into that. But it is the one that stands out in people's minds as a benchmark program in terms of the history of television. And we're, yeah, yeah. And I will say this too. I wonder if this is true. I think we were just lucky. There's a lot of really good writers in, you know, in television who could have gotten the job instead of us and would have done a really good job. And we were amazingly lucky. I think we did a good job once we got it. So I don't think we didn't deserve that, but it does make me feel fortunate. And it all goes back to, uh, having given Thad Mumford a job years ago. That's right. That. That's exactly right. Had lunch with him. When he offered us the job to write a, write a script, we were having lunch with him one day. Yeah. Good thing you went to lunch that day, huh? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we could have said, hey, Thad, we're busy. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you alluded earlier to something. We're talking about the finale. The process of writing the finale, which I have to imagine was different than writing other episodes of MASH. What was that process like? And just generally the the hoopla surrounding the craziness of the finale, what, what are your memories of that? Well, trying to contribute to the hoopla. <laughs> and um, uh, Ryan, have you have you uh, investigated how that was written, the, the mechanics of reading, writing that? My understanding is that the entire script was split into segments and handed off to different writers and writing teams who also then collaborated with Alan. That's right. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Half hour, half hour segments. Okay. Yeah, that was uh, that was different. Prior to that, we there were meetings with Alan working on the story. A couple I, I remember at in a restaurant just down the street there uh, on Pico. Can you remember that place? That Italian place, but I don't remember. Well, I guess uh, the, the the main memory I, I have from that particular lunch. And I can't remember how, how defined the story was at that point. My, my memory is that it was pretty early in the process. And uh, because we were still at, at 20th Century Fox, when it came down, down to writing that half hour segment, and, and we did the first half hour, 
wrote it with Alan. We were already at Warner Brothers and, and Alan came to our office there and we did it. But but back to uh, just hammering out the story, I remember there was the guts of the story is that it's a pretty serious, grim story situation. We were going on and on about it and they were like, I forget who all, who all was around the tape, but uh, the, the, there were like two elements to the conversation, you know, about you know, how serious do we, the, the serious quotient was tilting the thing way heavier than the comedy. And uh, a lot of us were being aware of the fact that this is the last episode, you know, we, we want it to be as funny as people remembered Bash. And Alan, I just remember the quote from Alan was, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, the last thing I want is uh, when the show ends, everyone's heads in the toilet. Very <laughs> <Mary> said. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a sort of an, or, an overriding kind of uh, preoccupation that always hovered above hammering out that story. Yeah, it was that serious story, you know, about Alan and, uh, you know, psychiatrists and all that. And, and, and uh, but I do want to point out, just because he deserves it, he's just the nicest guy. Yeah. And, and, and what, a th- what a thing to do to be able to sit there um, for five days. I think we took a week, maybe Dave might remember that better, to sit in our office at Warner Brothers for five days with Alan Alda and work on it. It was, it was, it was really memorable and it was really wonderful. And, and I, um, I think he's a terrific person. And we never had to put a word uh, on a piece of paper because he did it all with a, a little handheld tape recorder. Yeah. So we'd talk and then we'd arrive at something, he'd talk it into the, into the tape machine. We hear that a lot from everybody about what a wonderful person Alan Alda is. And so many, over the years, so many people have said to me, well, what's Alan Alda really like? I'm sure he was a terrible person. He did those terrible things. You know, he's a big star. I'm sure he did doopy, crazy things. <laughs> no, he didn't. No, he didn't. No, he, he was didn't. a wonderful, no. wonderful human being, you know? And, and, and they, they're almost sad to hear that, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, they got no story. <laughs> they got no tell. story, I got to say. He's a nice guy, yeah. what are going to do? I got the oh, inside scoop. Yeah. He's a nice guy. <laughs> yeah. 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 He, was, he was inspirational, and, motivational, and funny, charming, you know, supportive. He's just a terrific human being. He drove me home one day when uh, I was going to pick up my car and it wasn't ready. And he was, you know, this is from Warner Brothers again. And he just drove me over the hill. Yeah, just like a real person. Very Tyler Moore never did. <laughs> Steve Allen never did. No, never. <laughs> so. But Bert and Bert with whom we were lucky enough to work for those three years, uh, we worked for a lot of showrunners and we did some of that ourselves. And he was just as decent. That's, you know, when you talk about one of, and I mentioned I respect before, but there was just that kind of decency that, and, and you see it now in the, in, in, you know, where you look online and, and, and the, you know, Mike keeping everybody in touch. Where does that happen on a TV show? Right. You know, right. Yeah, that's a great word, decency. That's what the whole thing, that is really the, the theme behind that, all that. Yeah. Well, you you should, uh, Jeff, you should be telling us how nice a guy out. I mean, you, you saw him for all, you were working with him every day on the set. A long time. Well, he was. He was an inspiration to me. And he was, uh, I didn't know him when I first got there. I, I could have cared less. I didn't know anybody. Yeah. And so he was just a guy named Alan Alda. And then as time progressed, I realized that he wasn't just a guy named Alan Alda. This was was a talent powerhouse that I should really pay attention to and try and learn as much as I could from. I can tell you, uh, Jeff, that uh, you mentioned earlier, you you love Steve Allen. 
Yeah. And, and uh, I can link those two together. Elias and I were at Steve Allen's memorial service. Man, there was a lot of people there, including Alan Alden. And uh, during a break or afterwards or somewhere, I guess it was afterwards, I, I bumped into him, bumped into Alan. And uh, he was telling me that he, when he was, uh, this had to be in the late 1940s. So he, would, he said he was, when he was, I think, 14 years old, Steve Allen was on KNX here. It's when he really started doing The Tonight Show, really came out of a local show he did on KNX, where he came on at midnight and just interviewed people in the audience. He was supposed to be playing records. It was supposed to be a disc jockey show, but, but employees in the station would come around and listen to him and they would laugh. The audience at home heard laughter and thought there was a, you know, a studio audience. In fact, KNX didn't want to open up an audience. Steve told, told the story of the management of the station said, well, then we got to hire janitors. We got to open restrooms <laughs> at 12 o'clock at night. And that's going to cost us a lot of money. But, but anyway, uh, uh, Alan had earphones uh, welded onto his radio in his room. I mean, now everybody walks around with earphones. But back then, no, nobody thought, listen to on earphones so he could listen to uh, Alan could listen to Steve Allen at, at midnight without his parents knowing. <laughs> nice. That's great. Nice. Yeah, boy. Well, yeah, Steve Allen was great. He was a he was a wonderful performer. Great. Love that show. Too bad I wasn't on it. It's okay. It's okay. All right, guys. Gentlemen, we thank you for your time. As we bring this to a close, I have just one last question. The name of our show is MASH Matters. And we named it that because, you know, we discuss all matters uh, associated with MASH, but we also talk about why MASH does matter. And here we are, we're coming up next year will be the 50th anniversary of the pilot episode. Wow. And all these years later, it's still making an impact in the lives of people who are discovering it really for the first time and, and reliving it too. Why do you think all these years later, MASH still matters? Well, that's a great question. Well, uh, I would say, uh, you know, when those residual checks still keep coming in. Uh, My answer is exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 You know, it's just, uh, I know you want to wrap it up. Uh, it occurs to me that Elias and I were doing a show in London in 1970. One and um, Larry Gelbart was living there at the time, and and he was working on the pilot. We were at a party at, at uh, I think Mort Lockman's house, and he was saying they're doing a half hour uh, pilot for the movie, which we had all seen by that time. And I remember thinking, wow, Larry's going to do a sitcom pilot and, uh, on Bash, you know? Um, wow, it, it it was like a throwaway thing, you know. And uh, <laughs> so we were there for the pilot and to the, the final episode. <laughs> wow. Um, wow. No, but I know it's a serious question. Uh, I, I, I guess because it covered, you know, it was entertaining and what it had to say. And this didn't come up in, in our hour here, but the irony of it being uh, oh, about Korea from 1950 to 53, but in a way about the Vietnam War, which it dovetailed through you know the, those Vietnam years of the uh, uh, 70s um, and uh, am I right Vietnam started in the, maybe the late 60s I guess yeah and, and as the Vietnam War the longer it went the more 
the more people hated it. And what MASH was saying about Korea, they, they were also kind of saying about Vietnam. That's exactly right. It was an yeah. anti- I think that's what hit the nerve. It was an anti-war show at the time that the United States was at war, but it was done with heart and it wasn't anti-war about the killings on the battle. It was about injuries on the battlefield to a certain extent, but, but it didn't go out and, and show the devastation of war. It just talked about what was happening in people's lives, I think. And I think the other thing is sort of was was the Sons and Bowlers story. I think when people say it, you know, th- that idea of two, two men who were regular characters that people got to know and like, and who were talking about their fathers. And, you know, and then one, one was a dad and one was father. And that touches those kinds of things, which when you could do that on MASH, they would love it. When you could do that, you, you would entertain people and touch their lives in a very real way at the same time and make them think about their own lives. I think that was lucky that that could be, you know, a part of what we got to do and to try to make people laugh. Well said, guys. Wow. And it gave you... Jeff, a chance to get back at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank God for yeah. that. Thank Embarrass God for us that. in front of all of your, <laughs> uh, yeah. your whole yeah. network here. Yeah, humiliation with that. I think it was Elias who was the most negative. <laughs> I think I saw the positive aspect of the, of the yeah. we're on record as Thank both you. blaming Thank the you. other guys <laughs> that's the kind of team we are What a treat to talk to Pollock and Davis. Thank you, gentlemen, for giving of your time and uh, sharing some wonderful stories with us here on MASH Matters. I really enjoyed that, Jeff. I really did, too. What a what a couple of cool guys and what a couple of talented, talented writers. And I'm so glad that you were able to get your story off your chest about auditioning for the Steve Allen show. <laughs> I know that that's yeah. plagued you for many, many years. So I'm glad that you finally had some closure. I love those guys, but I'm still a little bitter. <laughs> Thanks, Pollock and Davis. Thanks a lot. But, you know, it was fun because we we realized a little bit later after the interview that we have a mutual friend that neither of us knew we had. So that's been kind of a revelation. And I've actually been in touch with that mutual friend after many, many years. So that's it was really fun. And when you say a mutual friend, we're not just talking about like in the business. It was a mutual childhood friend, right? Well, I was a child. Yeah, he was more of a friend of my brother's, actually. And I knew him, but yeah, they were very good friends in high school. And uh, he went on to become a kind of a famous guy. But uh, it was great to to find out that, you know, out of the, who would have thought yeah. <laughs> you know, that we would have connected this guy between us. So it was really fun. Great interview. Great guys. Thanks, guys, for, for being here. It was wonderful. Thank you so much. You can reach out to us, mashmatterspodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. You can also subscribe to us on your favorite podcast player. Email us questions at mashmatterspodcast at gmail.com, or you can call and leave a voicemail. 513-436-4077. All right. Another great episode in the books. Two wonderful guests. And who knows? We might have some more surprises for you on the horizon. Many, many, many surprises coming up. Many. So keep your pants on. Well, wait a minute. I said that wrong. Go ahead. (laughs) Until next time, here's looking up your old address. Why did my voice squeak? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why I said keep your pants on. I <laughs> My brain wasn't working either. <laughs> oh, that's a wrap. <laughs>